Enter if you dare this ghastly conversation of teens fraught with despair and recent lacerations. Final girl, chase after her, don't let her get away. But first, the slumber podcast massacre. Welcome to Slumber Podcast, man. I keep doing it. Why can't it? I, I, the first time I fucked it up, that I thought I fucked it up, I, it, then I reheard it and I'm like, oh, I said it fine. I don't think we can ever go back to it being normal again. Oh, okay. Like, Welcome to Slumber Podcast Massacre with TNA. I'm, I'm, that's Tim. That's Andy. <laughs> and this is a podcast about horror. Each week, Tim and I study a different horror movie from your golden classics down to the rarity you find at the back of your video store shelf. This week, we're going to be talking about the 1986 release. No, 1985. I wrote that down wrong. 19, November 1985 release, A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. Tim, do you have someone in you yearning to get out? Do you feel uh, you have someone inside of you that's trapped? Um, you know, uh, figuratively uh, is where I think you're going with that. Um, right, yes. Not did you swallow a, tin, uh, a, a, a twin <laughs> in the womb. Right. Um, I, I will tell you this. I am kind of obsessed with when I'm driving in my car listening to songs and envisioning myself – playing guitar in a band yeah. in a all girl band uh and actually being a really great guitarist and performing music on stage which is something that I've never done and it is like I I say obsession it's not really an obsession it's just something that I think would be super super cool yeah. so yes I would like to be like a super hotshot guitarist I got gotcha. you as opposed to the guitar stylist that I am <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, uh, perfect. That leads us right in. <laughs> <laughs> what a I feel like we yeah. haven't done a podcast in like like we're. I feel rougher now than we were when we had that month off. Well, you know, once Why? we once we get into this one yeah. and we talk about the truckload of of male ass that's seen in this movie, I think it's just gonna you know get those juices flowing. Yeah. All right, so let's give a little little backstory. This is uh, the sequel to the explosive hit on Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, it cost them three million to make. They made thirty million on it, so it was a hit, um, but not well received. It was directed by Jack Shoulder, and starred Mark Patton, Tim Kim Myers, and uh, everyone's favorite Robert England. Yes. So um, let's but, – but there there is so much to talk about this movie. It's kind of in two parts. One is about the movie itself. The other is about the recent publicity that this movie has gotten. And uh, as everybody loves when I say, we'll get to that later. <laughs> and I, I, But, I, folks, I promise we'll get to that. We'll I promise. That. We can't cover this movie without talking about some very recent – uh, discussions about the movie and its relation to the uh, to the gay community. Um, so we are we are going to cover that as well as the film itself. So before we go into all that, let's let's get Nan's summary. Nan's summary. All right, this one's pretty easy. Uh, a family has moved into the home. 
that was once occupied by Nancy Thompson. Thompson, right? yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's five years after her horrific ordeal with the child killer uh, dream demon Freddy Krueger. And uh, young Jesse is the teenager in the family, and he has been having some odd dreams and feeling uh, pretty hot and sweaty in his room. And it turns out our old friend Freddy is trying to use Jesse as a vessel to come back out into the real world, I guess. He's using him as a killer now. He's like, why killing dreams when I can just puppet a guy? <sighs> right? Yeah, no, you that's exactly right. And and um it's I feel exactly like still no, even after watching it again, I'm like, I like really unsure on what is dreams and what's real in this movie. Well, here's the thing, before we, we jump into too much, one of the absolute coolest decisions that was ever made in the first movie was to not spoon feed the audience when the dreams begin. Right. So you like have a, I'm laying down. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now I'm like the screen's going fuzzy. <laughs> Here comes the dream sequence. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It was almost like it was kind of tricking you as as a viewer to say like, oh wait, no, this is this is a dream. Um so yeah, the 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 first movie sets that tone. Um this movie, you're right. It's it's so conflicting because it just seems to do away with all of the ingredients that made the first movie so great. Um, and we're we're gonna get into that. Um, but first, let's talk a little bit about how this movie came to be, just real quickly. The first movie. Um, was a, a studio fan. made some money and yeah. they got excited. Right. The first movie is written by Wes Craven, conceived by him, made by him, directed by him. It was his baby and he loved it and he wanted it to just be a standalone great horror movie and it was wonderfully received. But what happened was is that New Line, uh, which was the production company that, that uh, produced the film, poured all of their resources just into getting it made so that when it came out and made money, it didn't really turn a true profit because all of that had to go back to repaying what it took to get it made in the first place. Yeah. So here's what you've got. Which he was fine with doing. He's right. like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do any more of these anyway. Right. Oh, he's fine with it, sure. <laughs> yeah. But the but the production house is like, no, we've got we've got a million dollar baby on our hands here, and and we're going to make some of that money for real now. So the first movie doesn't actually generate a true profit, but they have such excitement for that first film that they know that if they churn out a second one, no matter how good or bad it is, it's going to make money. So that's the first mistake is <laughs> rushing into a sequel. Yeah. First uh, time a studio's done it before though. So they yeah. weren't sure they took a risk. They weren't sure, you know. There's yeah. no history to look back on. Right. Yeah, rushing into sequels <laughs> is yeah, what what bad could happen, right. you know? So um what if we plan this movie in a committee? Right. And and the guy that dreamt up all of the greatest parts of the first one, let's just not have him be involved. Right. And here's the thing. Wes Craven um, just flat out did not want to be involved. Um, he had some disagreements with some of the folks at the at New Line when they were making the first movie. So it was already a little tumultuous there. 
so that by the time the the idea for a sequel came around, it was never even really heavily considered that Wes Craven was going to be a part of yeah. it. Yeah, and the studio's like, that's fine if we don't have you. Like, what, is your name going to be synonymous with horror for generations to come? <laughs> right. <laughs> we don't need you. Yeah, it's not like you're going to come up. West Raven. You're not going to come up with a, yet another <laughs> franchise that is going to make yeah. billions of dollars. But um, the sad part about all of this is that, you know, in order to, to again, get this first movie made, Wes Craven had to sign over his rights to the movie. Because you might be asking yourself the way that I did, why would he even let this happen to his baby? But he had no choice. He had already signed the dotted line. New Line owned the rights, and so they were the ones calling the shots. So he said, fine, I don't want to have anything to do with it except for don't use my characters, and you got to do your own thing. So that – Did you ever – Did you? <laughs> let me ask you a quick tangent. Yeah. Did you ever see that uh, – um, it's like a video this student from Juilliard put out, at, and he was like imploring St- uh, Kubrick to direct 2010 – uh, Space Odyssey. Have you ever seen that? No, I haven't. Okay, then we <laughs> we will look that up later. But I can only imagine everyone Google that guy and then imagine him imploring like, Wes, you have to do Nightmare on Elm Street too. Like he's he talks so pretentiously. Like it is hilarious. If- One of those early internet videos that is just. But I saw it late and I was like, how did I miss this guy? But you're going to love it. Well, if only he had been there to write that letter <laughs> right, to Wes Craven. Right. That would have been fantastic. And that's so the whole thing gets off on the wrong foot to start with. Then you couple that with an almost even huger mistake, which thank God they at least corrected this one, was that they were actually thinking that they don't even really need Robert Englund to play Freddy, and they actually went ahead and cast a, a stuntman yeah. to play Freddy, because it's like, who cares? We're just going to put the burn makeup on him anyway. Yeah. Anybody can play Freddy Krueger, and that... Eh. No. Yeah, they saw the dailies, and it's like, yeah, that's not working. So thank God they yeah. had one Because Robert Englund is an actual actor yeah. and act- approached that character like, here's how he sounds. Here's how he walks. This is how he stands. No stuntman is like, here's how he gets hit by a car. Here's how he falls off a ladder. Like, that's what he's thinking about. Well, yeah, I, you're, you're, you're getting at something that— So they said he just looked like a Frankenstein monster, like right. this lumbering—he's yeah. Jason. Yeah, I can't overstate for for maybe uh, younger listeners. I can't overstate what a miracle of creativity it was to even have a Nightmare on Elm Street and its mythology dreamt up by Wes Craven. Because by the time this is made, uh, it, it, and and not to talk overly talk about the first film, but by the time the first film is made, which is eighty four, um. The whole lumbering, giant, masked killer thing had been done to death. And it almost felt like, man, there's nothing else to do. Right. There's nothing else to think of, of of a new character that can be this interesting or cool or like a new aesthetic. And then along comes Freddy Krueger. Like, who's... Has anyone considered lithe and sexy? Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, right. He's got kind you of like kill a, me, okay. He kind of like... You know, juts that hip out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got, you know, he's, and he's, he's genuinely mean. Like, he's that's smart. The, yeah. And he's, Such a, he I wants to do Kruger. damage because the, something Wes Craven said about Freddie was that he didn't want any good 
in Freddy at all. Absolutely none. There's no like how Jason Voorhees has that little bit of childlike mentality. Right. He didn't want any of that. He wanted Freddy Krueger to be the ultimate boogeyman who loves to kill children like right. the destroyer of youth and anything good and innocent that's freddy krueger and not only that but he looks cool as hell yeah um so that's that's the the kind of level of excitement that surrounded that first movie when we all watched it for the first time which was like oh my god this is is not only terrifying but it's so cool yeah so the when weapon this... is unique the most unique weapon in all of horror I would say, you know, you know, it's he, a ha- it's a it's a handcrafted like this is an artisanal killer. <laughs> Do you know what his weapon was going to be? No, a maybe. St- but and, and I've never known if I'm saying this a word scythe. right. A scythe. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so which would have been cool. It's a little reaper ish. But he, terrifying. Yeah. I, I mean, want, a scythe want, looks like it doesn't. It, a scythe is like a like a great white shark. Like it just doesn't give a damn. Right. Like it just just gonna kill your ass. Yeah. If you've ever seen one actually in use of like cutting grass, you're just like damn. Like it. Yeah. It clears a large area very quickly. Like it is not a joke weapon. <laughs> right. You could nothing kill... blunt about it. It is just precision and goodbye. Like five. Five teens in a row just standing next to each yeah. other. Just wham, Yeah, you right get a nice big swing with it. Yeah. It covers a lot of ground. Right. It'd just well, be hard to chase someone with, I think, which is pro- maybe why they changed it. Yeah. As, as cool as it might be, they they went the other direction with the uh, the finger knives, the glove. And thank God for it because it is, oh gosh, I'm going to go ahead and say it, maybe the most iconic as far as something that is original and attached to a killer in right. horror, is it probably the most iconic? I would say yes. Weapon? You could argue the chainsaw, but that's just that's in the title. Like that, like the the weapon itself is part of the mythology of that series of and, like Texas Chainsaw. But yes, Freddy's glove is. Yeah, like that's specifically his. He doesn't find that. It's not he's not an improviser like Jason is. It didn't exist before. No, it didn't exist before. Yeah. Right. Knives existed. Uh, yeah, yeah, like fist weapons existed, but that kind of like it's just so sinister and yeah. it's like cousin it, but cousin it has or not cousin it thing, sorry. Right. Yeah, if it's like gonna... the charm of thing with like the danger of uh, a knife. <laughs> If you're going to go to the trouble to handcraft a user-friendly knife glove, yeah. you really want to kill people. And it became one of those things like you could like I don't I don't know. I assume a lot of kids did this, but like you get some spaghetti and tape like uncooked spaghetti to your fingers, boom, you've got a Freddy claw right there. I when, used to do that all the time as a kid. When we were watching this movie, He's in my and left my, hand, he's a right-handed glove guy. You know what though? Everybody always forgets he originally, if I'm not mistaken, he had two gloves. That was he originally had two gloves because the mom had in the first movie. I th- I th- oh he had a ton of gloves. Yeah. If you go to <laughs> we're jumping around movies here, right? But if you go to part six, Freddy's dead. And they show flashbacks. Like, he's got a workshop with, like, we- other gloves hanging up there. Yeah. But I think at one point... That was he just, he's a- like, if I'm going to take one to the afterlife, I'm taking my original. This is, I like this one. Wearing two at a time, though, would create some, like, you know, just logistic issues yeah. as far as just getting around. Yeah. 
back going to the bathroom so things like, like this. to open a door easily. Yeah, that would be yeah, it would just kind of take the the thrill out of it, I guess. Yeah. Like, wait a second, I'll get it, I'll get it. He's just like palming the doorknob. <laughs> right. Like, no, just give me a sec, give me a sec. Um so so yeah, the, the, you know, long story short, we we've got this absolutely beloved character and this beloved movie, and so we're super, super stoked for this sequel. And unfortunately, like we've been talking about, um, mistakes are already being made. Next comes the script itself. Now, this is where this is going to relate to some of the the uh, the subtext that we were talking about and some of the um, the recent issues that are happening. So the the writer of this the screenplay writer David Chaskin, yeah, uh, decides that one of the elements that he wants to weave into his narrative is the idea of how young teenage boys who are largely the target audience for this movie are going to have some sort of innate I don't want to say fear. I'm trying to speak very right. carefully here. Yeah, let's They're, they have some, <laughs> We're going to preface here. We're going to be talking about some sensitive social issues. Yes. We are two old straight white men and Part we white. understand <laughs> Part white folks. Tim is multi cultural uh i am uh, like english and irish and that's it uh so yes we will be speaking of some topics without experience within those communities yes but uh we are two open-minded gentlemen and i i I don't nothing we say is with malice no or with any sort of uh pretension to uh, we understand what it's like Right. And if you feel like you can enlighten us on some things, we <laughs> Please encourage you to email to, us yeah. at slumberpodcast at gmail.com. Somebody's got to email Someone us. Someone will someday. someday. <laughs> um, so he, what he's doing here, David Chaskin, is he's, he's weaving in a, a element of teenage boys' lives, which is uh, some nervousness about the idea of homosexuality. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way. Uh, whether if they are homosexual, it's the nervousness about other people finding out or how they might be treated. If they're not homosexual, it's the idea of if they ever do have any thoughts that kind of even just barely lean in that direction. Or maybe they think, wow, I like wearing cool clothes or I like working on my hair or whatever it is. Am I gay? And it's it's because of, of society, especially at that time, yeah. it felt like a lot of uh, nervous pressure um, as far as a, uh, a fear, I suppose. So he thinks that he's going to try to weave some of this homosexual uh, homosexual like tension into his script. Yeah. That's where it starts. Well, initially he wanted to do like baby possession. Yeah. And they were like, no. And he was like, fine. On the back burner, I've got this right. commentary about what it's like to be gay in society. Right. And But and, he did write five. He went on to write part five, Dream Child. So right. he did get to do his true vision. Well, no. There actually there was a different screenwriter. It was actually – I cannot remember his last name right now. It starts with a B. He was the one that came up with the baby idea. Oh. And then there was a woman – this is kind of funny. There was a woman at New Line – uh, a wife of somebody who is pregnant, and they were just like, "Oh, right." They, they were like, like, "We don't like the idea." Yeah, of she's, talking about she's possessed not babies. cool with it. Yeah. Right. So, so then it got into right. Chaskin's hands, and so he's he. But what he does like is the idea of Freddie needing some sort of human avatar to carry out his to do his dirty work, which that's. 
another huge mistake. <laughs> right. Because why? Why? The, it worked just fine in the first movie to have him haunting people in their dreams. Yeah. In fact, it not That was kind worked. of part of the appeal. Right. Because you can't... There's nothing you can do to... Sleeping is something everyone has to do. Dreaming is something you cannot control. I know there are lucid dreamers who can... Yes, you technically can control your dreams, but... You also feel very powerless in a dream unless you're like an experienced lucid dreamer, whatever. Right. So, the, yeah, these are all – there's so many fears there that you – because you cannot stop it. Right. Of a of, of, of five-foot-eight guy that's 140 pounds soaking I can avoid wet. Camp Crystal Lake. I cannot go there. Right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but in your dreams, Freddy is is there and he's all powerful. But you you take him into reality and it's like I'm I'm worried about this guy. Right. Like not so much. You yeah. Know? I mean, that was one of Wes Craven's issues. Yeah. He's like he's uh, evil, but when he's at a pool party with jocks, I'm yeah. like, this yeah. nerd's gonna get his ass kicked. Looks like maybe he's got a little scoliosis going on. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know? Anyone um, seen how lithe he is? I also, mean, nothing against the scoliosis community. I'm. I'm yes, a member. Neither I, of us have had scoliosis. You. We. Uh, I actually have a little bit. Do you? I do. Tim. <laughs> I'm. I'm not completely white, and I have scoliosis. I can say anything I want. Well. <laughs> Did you not know that? No, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, I do. Remember they used to take you in the bathroom and you had to bend over and then they'd look at your spine? Uh, <laughs> I remember school. them looking at my spine. I remember right. having you to bend over. <laughs> yeah. And then I had to go to the doctor. I in the bathroom they yeah. would do it? Yeah, they took us in the bathroom. Oh, you went we to a religious school, shirt. though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. They did all kinds of things in that bathroom. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so did we. But, um, but yes, yeah, so. No offense to religious community. Right, yeah. <laughs> Or bathrooms. Um, but, yeah, so what we've got here is an idea that's already getting off on the wrong foot because what, like Andrew said, what makes the first movie so interesting is the idea of um, these killings happening in the dream world, which is what Wes Craven was interested about in the first one to begin with because he originally got the idea because of these um, these East Asian uh, folks that were moving from these war-torn countries in Cambodia and Laos to Los Angeles and they had they were suffering from such uh, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder from coming from their these war-torn countries that they were literally dying in their sleep and what's weird is that the, there was like three cases and the newspaper never put it together that like this is weird like these Asian dudes are all dying in their dreams so that's that was the actual genesis of the idea to start with yeah. and they abandon it for the second movie so already we're off to a rough start okay <laughs> but uh, and i promise there are a couple things that we like about this movie sure yeah so let's talk a little bit about um let's talk a little bit about the uh the gay thing because i said that that we were going to get back to it um and 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 now we're going to do it I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not, actually, I'm not going to say anything. I want to ask you. Okay. The first time that you watched this movie, did were you overcome with a with a, a feeling of this being a, a hugely gay movie? No. No. Not at all. Um, but I think it was more because at the age I was when it came out, uh, and I didn't get to watch a lot of horror when I was very young, and I somehow did see this one. And I think it's just because I was so intrigued by the first one, and it was on HBO. I was able, I was able to watch that. Uh, so when this came out, I was just focused on 
Freddy? How does Freddy like? Uh, what's he doing in this movie? What are the kills like? Uh, but also, I was very. I do remember as a kid being like, uh, this is a shitty movie. Like, <laughs> like that little when he's cleaning up his room and doing that little 80s dance scene. Oh, God. Yeah. Like, even to me as a child, I was like, this bit's garbage. Right. I don't <laughs> like that. This, it already felt dated to me watching it live, you know, live. Yeah, in the moment. Like, yeah, yeah, in the moment. Uh, and there's just a lot of bits like that and it wasn't it wasn't in the spirit of the first movie and that and that really disappointed me uh and no it wasn't until i was older uh and and it wasn't even i had watched it and then got it yeah i had like read some articles where people were like huh interesting like there's some interesting gay subtext in this movie that's kind of translating well today uh then you revisit it and you go oh yeah there is Interesting. Which is, which is kind of interesting because where where we're at now is that now the movie is celebrated by by the gay community um, for you know p- partly like tongue in cheek for its camp, but also yeah. because of its uh, you know it, its gayness, I guess, and just in general. Um, so yeah, I was I was the same way. I did not pick that up at all. Same as you said, maybe it was the age that I was, but even if I hadn't read. Any of the things that ten, are... I'm 10 when this movie comes yeah, out. Yeah, right. Even if I hadn't read what, what is going on now with the movie, which, by the way, Mark Patton, who plays the lead in the movie, is going to be coming out in March of this year with a documentary entitled Scream, Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street, where he talks about his perception of what happened on the set, where he genuinely feels that the screenwriter... Um, was sort of working to out uh, Mark Patton, who is a, a gay man, and who was closeted at the time that the movie came out or was being filmed. And he kind of, Mark Patton feels that there was actually a, a conscious sort of plot yeah. to to either make fun of him or bully him or out him. Yeah, like, let's see how gay we can make this. Right, and because this kid's gay and we're just going to put it on full display for everybody to see. Now, th- that is, is heavily, um, you know, contested by David Chaskin. He has, over the years, admitted that, yes, I did interweave a gay subtext right. into this movie, um, but gave his reasons for it, which I, I talked about earlier. But, um, so, yeah, from from the beginning, we see there is actually no female nudity in this movie. No. But, boy, are there butts. Yeah. Male butts. Yeah. Lots of them. Maybe not lots of them, but just no. unexpected male butts. Yeah, are they, I would say what the only nudity is. Uh, oh, no, there's the coach's butt too. Yeah, the coach's it's, butt. Yeah, but it's the coach's butt. That guy gets the most nudity time. Fucking Marshall Bell. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's gets get the, the most middle-aged. nudity in this slasher film. And yeah, we get a quick shot of Jesse's ass because we get a couple of them. We get when when they're wrestling around on the baseball field, yeah. and then I think when he's in his bedroom, do we see ass again? Or maybe I was I was wishful I thinking. Think so. I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, I but yeah. Either way, there is uh, there certainly is a leaning away from your typical, uh, if you want to call it exploitive uh, or or gratuitous female nudity. 
Um, there is certainly not that in this movie. No. So they're trying very to, few females in this movie. They're trying to flip the script here, and that is yet another failure. Yeah. The idea of final boy versus final girl. Now, typically, like we've talked about in in a lot of our previous shows, the idea of there being a final girl in in horror movies, and it's just something that I think really works. And in my opinion. I don't care if it was uh, this movie, a good movie, a bad movie, or not. I don't think a final male resonates as much as a as a female, and I'm not even sure why that is. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I would say it comes back to you're there's still like there's a final girl because that still means there's someone to rescue, right? And like. I think that boils down to, you know, the damsel in distress, your old tropes from the beginning of story time. Even though there are no men left alive, you as the audience viewer are still like, someone save this woman. This, There's only one woman left and she still needs saving. So then when that woman is saved, it's this like little masculine boost. Like, ah, even, I watched the woman be saved. So it's like I helped. Right. Or um... but when it's a dude, you're like. Uh, guys are a-holes. I don't know if he deserves. <laughs> yeah, it kind of takes the urgency out of it. Yeah. But that's that's part of – and, yes, I think you could look at it that way. I, I think you could also look at it as the, the kind of cooler part of it is that when you have that damsel in distress, which, yes, I am with you 100% that – that it, it creates a bigger sense of urgency. Like, somebody save this this girl, this yeah. girl that has done What's she going to do, protect yeah. herself? She, yeah, she, <laughs> she gets, you know, she hasn't had premarital sex. She doesn't drink. She doesn't do drugs. Like, this is just a sweet kid. Right. Somebody save her. But what so often happens is that we see this arc of empowerment where these final girls actually gain a strength that you wouldn't have attributed to them if you come from a like a misogynistic society, I guess. <laughs> right. But but that's what's so cool about the final girl is that she's like, you know, typically, whoever she might be in, in whichever movie, I'm going to I'm gonna stop you. There's nobody left. It's all down to me. I'm gonna kick your ass. As unlikely as as it might feel based on those sta- stereotypical, you know, tropes. With, with a male, it just you just didn't find yourself caring about, or at least I didn't find no. myself caring about him as much. No, well, and his like he's not even fighting. He doesn't fight Freddy. It's like an internal struggle because of the subtext, right? But also, when your final fight is an internal struggle, I don't know. That doesn't it doesn't translate well. I like that concept. That works. In other movies or whatnot, uh, there's a there is a story to be told where the final battle is this inner struggle. Uh, it's not for a movie like this, though. No, well, and the thing is, it's like it has nothing to do with gayness. I promise you what I'm about to say because I know I have plenty of gay friends that. I certainly wouldn't want to piss off or or have to deal with if they were really upset and angry and wanted to fight about something. I I it, it's not a judgment on them. One doesn't equal the other for what I'm about to say. But this guy's a pussy. I mean, he just is. It's got he, gay straight up down corkscrew. I don't care. Like it doesn't <laughs> matter. The character is just such a a wimp. Like you're yeah. right. He doesn't fight Freddy. He doesn't he he doesn't um he doesn't do anything. He doesn't have an arc that no. we see some growth in him. He it's doesn't just, even try. He's just like, no. well, it's happening to me. And oh, God. yeah, I guess I'll scream again. You know, <laughs> yeah. and because 
you know, it's, he's got a unique scream. Um, but, uh, but no, it's, I think that's what's missing is that there's nothing compelling. There's nothing to cheer for, which is why Wes Craven comes into this movie, even though he was distanced and, and everything while, while they were making it. But eventually, you know, he does kind of come in about halfway through filming and says, look, you got to focus on the girl. Like, uh, because in the movie, um, the lead character of Jesse does have a girlfriend of yes. sorts. Um, and so Wes Craven comes in and says, hey, give give the girl some more time. And then kind of we sort of do get a final girl at the end. Yeah. Kind of in a way. Um, yeah. And, she fights Freddie. And that feels I want to watch that. Like I at that point, I reengage with the movie a little bit. more. Yeah. I'll admit it. Um, is that a comment on, uh, you know, men just can't fill that final girl so to speak role well maybe it is i don't something think a man anything. can't do <laughs> right? believe it or not wow. yes yeah and uh well we, we just kind of figured that out didn't we i mean yeah like that's you know guys aren't as good at winning in the end <laughs> <laughs> like why 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 try um but no this this movie it, the, aside from all of the things that we're talking about one of the biggest problems with this movie is that it just isn't engaging. No. Like, I'll watch a bad movie. I'll watch a poorly made, poorly acted, poorly written movie any day if, for, if it's for some reason compelling um, or, or interesting or fun to watch. This movie um, kind of just feels anticlimactic a lot of the time. And it yeah. doesn't it doesn't flow very well from one scene to the next, which maybe that's because the guy that directed it they, uh, uh, what I want to say, promoted him from being a director of movie trailers to doing a feature film. Maybe yeah. that has something to do with it. But, um, yeah, you don't find yourself, gosh, that first movie. Honestly, not only are you scared in the first film, but it's also got, like, a cool, like, Scooby-Doo quality to it. Like, who is this guy and how right. do we get him? And, and Nancy's reading books about booby traps and shit. And it's, and it's fun and you feel like you're in the hunt with everybody to try and survive. This movie would Yeah, I did not care if Jesse died. Right. I That's was like, if he dies when they defeat Freddy, all right. I'm fine. And do you believe any of the family dynamic that happens in the no. family scene? The family is uh now our boy, little bridge episode, Clue Gulliger's back back in action. Uh not his finest performance though. But still more fun to watch than anybody else in this movie. Right. Just yeah. About. The little sister is what's the point of the little sister? Why have the little sister? Right. Why have the little sister, especially since she looks a little too young for the parents to have maybe wanted <laughs> well, a second child? Sometimes that happens. It does. Right. No, and there's nothing wrong with it. I'm sure they had every intention of having. But yeah, it. it's like the the dynamic of the family would have been better if it's just him. Like yeah, if they if they are just struggling with that one child instead of having like oh well, well we have this angel to fall back on so. Uh, Jesse, trouble? Okay, see you later. Right, yeah. Uh, clean your room, bye. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, I didn't care. I didn't care about the family. They were never in, in danger. And even Well, the, the sister was in, right. for a second. And, and even if you didn't care about them, there's also some relationships that just don't make sense in any sort of linear trajectory. For example, his friend Grady. Yeah. That's his friend's name? Okay. Yeah. 
So Grady is, you know, not this is neither here nor there. His more handsome, um, more compelling to watch. On they the seem like friend. enemies at the beginning of yes. the movie, and, and then they're then, just kind of hanging out later. And I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, Grady is this like. Hey, trust me, it's hard to be an attractive man in the mid '80s because everything was working <laughs> against you. This guy actually manages to be like pretty good looking yeah. dude. He was in Weird Science. He was uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s counterpart. Yes, so it's that same. Guy, I don't remember the actor. Robert Rustler. I yeah. did write it down. Robert Rustler is the actor. And he's, you're right. They they are kind of enemies. It's kind of like a karate kid, like Danielson versus Johnny thing. Yeah. Like they in like the have a fight, like a yeah, fucking each other. Well, they're not punching each other, but they're wrestling. Yeah, pretty aggressively. And then the next thing you know. This guy that you you would think wouldn't you know give uh, Jesse a second glance is not like his best friend. Yeah, and we don't see the evolution of that at all. Yeah, and like his best friend to the point of when Jesse bursts into his bedroom and hops onto his bed with him is like it's just like comes across as a really sweet dude that doesn't get weirded out by that. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know. Um, and so yeah, so the the relationships don't really make a whole lot of sense. You're not feeling it. Um. The plot, uh, like we've already talked about with the the possession thing happening, um, where it's actually Jesse that is carrying out all of the murders uh, himself. But I, let me – but so, yeah, here's my question. Yeah, okay. Is he? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. He kills the gym teacher. He kills – That's uh, not a dream, though? Well, good question. Yes, <laughs> it is a dream, but he is – it's both. There is a dream happening there where he's seeing Freddy, but ultimately Because Freddy... let's play out that scene. Okay. Because here's why I, I, don't, I don't understand if it's a dream or not. So he's in his room. It's hot. There's kind of that going on like, Freddy, he was burned. It's fire. Their, a, the, their AC needs Freon. As Clues told us. So it's hot in his room. He, like, leaves the house, and he just goes walking through the streets. And he comes upon a bar, and he goes in. It's like a leather bar. Uh, so he goes up to the – so and he asks, asks for a beer. So already I'm like, okay, he's just some teen – does he even have a shirt on in this scene? I feel like he's just walking around in his PJ pants. It's uh, unbuttoned if he does. Have okay. One. <laughs> uh, so while he's at the bar – he sees the gym teacher who's there clad in leather. So now we cut to the school where he's making him run laps. There's like no dialogue. So I feel like it's a dream because I don't feel that's a scenario he would just normally be in where he goes into a bar and they serve him because uh, he's obviously a child. Uh, and then there's the gym teacher, no, no talking, and then make like makes him run laps. Like what? How? How does that happen in reality? Where he's like, hey, now we're here. Come to the school where you you have to do physical activity. Right. And then he's strung up. Like so now Freddie has because he's strung up by some gym ropes, but or jump ropes, but Jesse's not controlling that. So there's a supernatural element happening in the real world so why isn't freddie killing him supernaturally how does jesse then kill him okay and you are you are a thousand percent right. or did the coach just fall asleep at the school and freddie through uh jesse's dream kills him 
I'm gonna. You know I, what I'm I know. I know exactly. Or he, or he killed the coach through the coach's dream, but Jesse was able to see it because of the possession element we've now thrown in. Jesse actually does the physical killing. He actually does it. Now I know exactly what you're saying. You're 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 kind of especially that scene, and I'm glad that you picked that one because you're like, okay, where does the dream start and end? Like, it did he really leave his house awake, or is is he sleepwalking to the to the gay bar yeah. or to the leather bar? It, you're right. There, it's it's not very conclusive as far as what is a dream and what isn't. And the first movie handles that flawlessly. Second movie, not so much. But you have to go back to what Freddie says to Jesse when they kind of first encounter each other face to face. You've got the body, I've got the brains. Yeah. So, and then we also Good see special Jesse, effects there. He peels off his head. Yes. Pulsing brain. And you see later there's a scene where um, Jesse has blood on his hands. I mean, actual blood from a victim on his hands. Right. So Jesse, we I believe, I believe that we are supposed to assume that Jesse is actually carrying out as a physical vessel for Freddy the murders themselves. Now, as far as the holes in how the hell, like what did Jesse wrap those uh, jump ropes around the teacher right. and drag him? It doesn't seem plausible. I think that there's... Was he with his week too? This is what we see the coaches ask. Right. A good towel whipping scene. Like It's a go... Yeah, this a is phantom. Freddy's first like, I could be cheeky guys right i can i can have some fun with this too it's i think like, this is before yeah, the one-liners right. this is before the one-liners <laughs> right. but it's like freddie like guys i know i'm evil but i i yeah. still have fun let's have a little fun with this one yeah i um i think that there is a dream happening certainly but that somewhere it, uh, in the midst of the dream, Jesse ends up actually physically killing right. the people. When the bird blows up, is that a dream? Is that real? Did the bird spontaneously combust? Man, that's a great question. Boy, that I, that's a, if you haven't seen it, there is a scene. They have two parakeets because it's the '80s and everyone had a canary or a parakeet. Uh, did you? Probably not. No. Okay, I did. <laughs> uh, anyway. Those are a popular pet, though, in that era. Uh, parakeets. Yeah. Um, so they have two parakeets. They're making a lot of noise. Jesse opens the cover. One is just lying there in a pool of its own blood. The other one flies out, attacks the dad, and then literally explodes in, in a fireball. I, I think so. That, the whole family is viewing this. Right. It is. It. is. I'm going to tell you this. Just because somebody writes a movie makes a movie i mean it has to happen because the parents talk about it, it later without happen. jesse and he's got that band-aid on for 10 years <laughs> yeah afterward. he's where the dad is yeah milking the, the, this yeah. parakeet wound clue gula girl who usually plays you know pretty tough and you know rough and tumble guy like apparently just takes a massive laceration to the face from a parakeet yeah and has a band-aid on for the next like two years but yes you're right in that that had to be happening in reality. That moment is happening in reality. Does it make any sense? No. no. And I think that that's something we have to remember is we can't automatically give these people credit for writing a good screenplay or making a yeah. good movie. Because, I mean, even if, like, if you go to the first one, even if your movie is like, oh, he's killing someone in their dream, 
they at least have like kind of established that rule and they carry it out and it's consistent. It's not, this movie is just like, like, how is that happening? How is that happening? Right. Why is that happening? Yeah. And it, it doesn't answer much of that. And, uh, I, and I think it goes back to just it being a really bad idea from the very start. Um, the idea of taking everything that was cool about Freddy and suddenly trying to turn him into what we already have a truckload of, which is killers, like, killing people in real life. Yeah. You know, that it, it had been done to death. So, um, but you're right. The, the idea of what is a dream and what isn't in this movie is not, I don't think it's clearly thought out. And the more that now you've got me thinking about that whole, like, locker room scene. And you're right. Like, when does it switch over? Like, right. from the dream. But I don't think Freddy does any killing in this movie. Um, it's all through Jesse. That was their whole idea was, hey, let's have him ha- actually kill people with a human body. And and it just, but for why? Yeah. <laughs> You know, so it's it's uh, it's confusing. Um, now, there is a, there's a, some light at the end of the tunnel here. The movie doesn't need to be seen if you are a fan of the first movie and you want to continue with some of the other movies in the further on in the franchise. True. You can literally skip from one to three and it's fine. Um, it's not even to say that the rest of the movies in the franchise got ever got back to that first movie's quality because I don't think they ever did. No. Um you could maybe make a case three's for three's great though. What's oh yeah three's, three's a, oh no they're great. They're they're all fun, but it's kind of like they they up the ante on the 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 antics and the um you know Freddy's one liners yes. and the kills being like overly overly creative probably. Yeah. Um but uh, but it's well still I mean fun this is also like this is post Schwarzenegger, and they're like one-liners work. Like, you know what people love when actors in movies say funny one-lines that pertain to the thing they're doing, and if they follow it up with the word "bitch," it's <laughs> yeah. that much better. Um, no, the, the the funny thing about where all my scary of this, Terry fans at. <laughs> the funny thing about all this is that this very same idea is almost, well, not almost, masterfully carried out in uh, A New Nightmare. Yeah. Where the where Wes Craven returned. Yeah, where like, Wes Craven Let me remind you all what this is about. So that's... That's how you do this movie. Right, right. You do it with the idea of, uh, like, Freddy being some sort of um, culmination of negative energy that just becomes, you know, uh, flesh. Yeah. Um, just because of the the power of its negativity, I guess, or however you want to put it, it's it's more masterfully stated in the movie itself. <laughs> um, but yeah, no this this movie. Okay, so let's talk. Is there anything that this movie gets right? I mean, is there anything good about this movie? I mean, the clothing, costumes are great. Like I totally believed it was the mid eighties, right? Uh, yeah. The music. I believed this was a movie made cheaply in the mid eighties. Uh, I mean, I don't know, man, I've really been going back and forth cause I love the series and I know I didn't like this movie, but I was like maybe watching it now with fresher eyes, but it's still like, it wasn't as bad as I 
remembered it. It clipped along a little better. Like, it didn't really drag. But also, nothing really happened. Right. Uh, I didn't really care about it. I, didn't, I don't care. I don't care about this movie. Right. That's the problem. Yeah, it... Um... It's just something to where it's kind of like when you go to to a county fair and you go into one of the uh, like the spook houses where you're in those little two person carts and you like know, a fun house. Yeah, like a fun house. <laughs> yeah, literally like a fun house. Exactly like that. And you're you're cruising along and it's like usually at least around here. Anyhow, those things are so run down, like half of the animatronics don't work anymore. <laughs> right. It's just like maybe some hissing air sounds and it's just garbage. <laughs> so but but you're still excited for that thing to happen and then it doesn't and it's kind of like uh that's how this whole movie feels yeah um yeah it i don't i i'll be honest with you i don't think it gets much of anything right like you said it is it's so dated it's there's really no like why the possession there's such a force i know like they force like well this house has significance now yeah like i don't care why what was it matter that he moved in there and why do you, why does it need to change so drastically from a formula that so clearly works right. in the first movie? Yeah. Yeah. Like he just disappears in the first movie. They don't kill him. So yeah, just it, have it he's still haunting dreams. Even fine a possession is like within that he's like, "Oh, here's someone I, you know, instead of him living in the house, he just this person is able to control their dreams or something or they have a connection to their subconscious or something to where then freddie exploits that and uses that as a possession way better than just like well you live in the house of where of a girl i tried to kill right there is no you're right there is no bridge from that first movie to the second one it's like they have a scene where you know uh jesse discovers nancy's diary and they they get a little bit of insight into what's happening um, but the, you're right. Yeah, it, this people thing, are going to talk about that too, right? Like everyone in this movie is just like, "Hey, did you know like uh, there were murders here in this small town?" Like, oh, I didn't hear about that. Right. And the thing, you're right. It's like, first of all, it it's almost a, a haunted house thing. If the house itself is all it takes for Freddy to to come after you, then what are we talking about here? Are we talking about a, a haunted house movie, right? And then a, and then there's the possession. So it's like, okay, now what are we talking about? Just a, a demonic possession movie? Like it, 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 the first movie is so original. And the second one just gives us second helpings of things that we've had a million times. Yeah. And, and to, to lesser effect. So, um, I'm really bummed. The only, I will say this, I will say this. Uh, part of what makes Freddy so scary in the first movie is that you really don't see him a whole lot, or when you do see him, he's in partial shadow, and um, so it's it's it kind of ups the creepy factor. But I'll admit, Freddy's cool. We like seeing him. We like hearing him. Yeah. And this movie is great. Least, he's menacing in this. Yeah. He's so he, good in this. He gives. I almost it, like him. I almost like. Robert Englund's performance in this one more than the first. But he has yeah. more to work with in this one, so right. to be fair. I think that's one thing that we can cite. He at least like, that... did something with it. Right, exactly. And it, and at least his quality of Freddy didn't match up to the 
crappy quality of the film. Like he kept Freddy great, right? Despite the the movie being bad, and really that's that you could say that for just about any of the sequels. Like it, at least he is consistent, even if he does get a little comical and uh, parodied. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in in part two, he's still kind of mean. What's and, the one where he's like, there, there's a deaf person? And he's like dancing around behind them. That's the point where I was like, "Yeah, hey, come on, man! <laughs> right. Like you're not terrorizing that person. I know that you're doing that for me. Yeah, that's as just a me. viewer. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, he that yeah. We'll say one good thing is that we, we do. Freddie gets more screen time. That's fun to watch. Um, maybe we get a little bit more of a feel for who he is and what he's like. So that is a positive. Um. But, uh, yeah, there's there's not a whole lot else to, to sink your teeth into. But like I said, it's fine. You skip from the first one to the, to the third one, and you're, you're good. Now, the, um, the realization that that brings us to, going back to the, um, the issues of the, the subtext and, and the gay community and Mark Patton's upcoming uh, documentary, I feel like what's really happening here is that a movie was made with some probably pretty poor taste quality, some just not a lot of, like I like to say, craftsmanship. Yeah. And the movie just wasn't that good. And Mark Patton, if you read interviews with him, I think he sees himself as being like the next big thing, the, the next it boy yeah, no, um, that was in not Hollywood. And he feels like there was some sort of sinister plot against him, which the truth of it is, I just don't think the movie was that good. No, and he wasn't awful. Like, he had some moments that were good. Uh, But just as an an actor, I I wasn't engaged by him. Uh, He had good moments, but I didn't care. Right. And, uh, yeah, there... He had a little whiny face too yeah and that's a weak chin when he talks about himself he's he always says like how beautiful he was like i was this young beautiful boy like he he really would i I have chose at that age to look like that over me maybe (laughs) but but you would have chose grady over that (laughs) oh yeah yeah. oh yeah so yeah he i think he has a little bit of an elevated view of himself or what his career was going to bring him so that it you know instead of saying wow i was just in kind of a crappy movie instead he's got to you know place that blame on something else and who knows get guys I, I wasn't there um i wasn't in the room i didn't see what happened i i don't like to comment on stuff that i that i don't know uh the details of but um but he is the one that's bringing this to the forefront so yeah, i'm I mean, excited about that discussion i'm definitely gonna watch it yeah it, it gets excellent reviews and uh it's got to be better than this movie yeah it will be <laughs> right but a fun companion piece maybe we'll do it on patreon <laughs> uh okay well i think that's about all we got to say about this one right well Anything are you else? gonna are you, Do you gonna, recommend are it? we gonna give a, and and oh cur- pearl yeah, some pearl, pearl, pearl clutching clutch, yeah i mean well if you know if you know everything if you're watching this in 1986 or 85 <clears throat> our next movie's in 1986 that's what's messing me up yeah uh, 1985 um I'd, I'd give it like a uh, three that's how hard you're clutching your pearls but if you're you know a pearl clutcher today and you know and you read like the backstory on it yeah there might be some pearl clutching 
Well, yeah, and I'm with you because as a hard as a hard one to rate. I don't have a problem with like uh, a scene of a guy getting his ass spanked by a phantom towel, uh, but I don't I don't expect it. No, when I go into a movie, uh, any movie. So when that happens, yeah, it's kind of like a whoa, like hey, where'd that come from? <laughs> right. So yeah, it's got a little uh, clutchiness to it. I'll go with three. I'll, yeah, then yeah, three. I yeah. mean, there's not a lot of of overt grossness in the, I mean there's a couple like you know bloody things but it's not you know terribly gross with the uh, with the effects um, so yeah about a three um, I don't recommend this movie I, I'm just gonna say that yeah. I, I think it's harmless I think if you want to watch I don't think it is a don't avoid it but you're not gonna you're not gonna watch it and be like what are they talking about this is great I'm even hesitant to say this but I, I, I was about to say I don't want to say it's a bad movie. No. It I don't it's a bad movie. It, is it though? Yeah, it's a bad it movie. It is. It just is. Yeah. It is. It, it and it's not bad because of I like bold choices. Unfortunately, none well, they were made, but they were made all wrong. Yeah. Uh and and it just didn't pull you in as a viewer, especially when you had such high hopes uh to continue the that success of the And first maybe movie. this is a better movie if it's just a ghost is trying to possess this kid to come into reality. Maybe that's a better movie. But when the combination of the two of it being Freddy uh I don't think that works. Okay. I buy that. Yeah. Yeah, you t- you take the whole Freddy thing out of it and yeah, no, that that would be that's at least feels it feels like it's not treading on ground that that why are we even going yeah, here? No. Um, Cuz there's no there's no urgency to not sleep in this movie. While yes, like the things happen at night or oh, whatever. Right. No one's ever like make sure I don't fall asleep. Yeah. Keep me awake. Like there's no, that is gone. And right. it's in every other one. Yeah, because apparently it can happen to them whenever. I mean, when you've got birds exploding in the living room in the middle of the day, <laughs> right. like why the hell does going to sleep matter right no, so yeah. you're right no i don't i don't recommend this movie no and um however the next movie that we're going to be discussing yeah. is a real great one yeah we could preeminently say we're probably going to recommend the next one but yeah. anyway so yeah that was before you know all right so let's wrap it up <laughs> yeah. my favorite part the outro uh so that was the 1985 movie uh nightmare on elm street part 2 freddy's revenge uh, two thumbs down over here. Uh, please join us next week when we cover the 1986. We're kind of going off genre. It's kind of a sci-fi movie, but it's still a horror movie. Uh, the sci-fi horror film Night of the Creeps. Yeah, brain worms. Everyone loves brain worms. Uh, so yeah, we're uh, looking forward to talking about that one. Uh, I don't know. Do I do anything else on the outro? You know, well, what do you I, think of the new? I should say we're in a new studio space. We were, we were upstairs, like in my office, and I was like, maybe the John Oliver Funko Pop figure doesn't set the mooding right, the mood <laughs> right for a horror podcast. So we moved down into the basement. We're in a little scary storage room in the basement. Yeah, maybe that's why I'm a little off. I'm it's kind of like, yeah, like a little corner, like not trying to keep chamber. my cat out the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a new environment for us. I mean, usually people like move into like cushier uh, spaces. Right. We've actually gone the opposite direction, but yeah. I kind of like I got like some folding it. chairs and a yeah. card table. Hey, there's Halloween decorations over there. There are. That's scary. <laughs> Don't so, turn yeah. around. Right. So, I mean, yeah, we're, we're in a new space here. 
Um, I would say if we're if we're gonna do one more thing, just real quick. Um, we mentioned it earlier. Um, we uh, we appreciate all the listeners, and if all you ever do is just listen, that is fantastic. But if you do have any suggestions for movies, or if you do have any facts that you know or would like to share, or maybe maybe there are some corrections that you want to uh, make us aware of, uh, please feel free. Feel ugh, I encourage you to write us at <laughs> slumberpodcast at gmail You can follow us on Instagram at slumber podcast massacre. Also, our Patreon is patreon.com slash slumber podcast massacre. Feel free. My words are coming out, right? Uh, yeah, all right. Well, that's that's the end of that one. Yeah. Sleep tight, Tim. You too, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs>